Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The verses at the end of the chapter begin reading with verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word tonight. Wondering if anyone here identified with this man and his story. Many of us are parents, grandparents, some of us are great-grandparents. Probably a number of us have had moments where there was something going on in the life of one of our descendants that really scared us. Just as I think this man was really scared. I never put the passage together with my own experience until this afternoon. Got to thinking about what I put my parents through. That was a long time ago. It was about my 14th birthday when a doctor said to them, something like this, your son, your only son, has been walking around the community for the last eight days with a ruptured appendix. Now, you're probably still not supposed to do that. You certainly weren't supposed to do that 65 years ago. Sure, he went on to say, we have to have surgery right now, and they did. Now, obviously, the story has a happy ending, because I'm standing here. Seven months later, I regained my health and went on with life. 
I've never discussed with my parents. Do you see any connection between this Bible passage and what you went through with your son? I bet they could have seen the connection. Too late now, I can't ask them now, what was it like on that day? Well, I want you to think with me for the next few minutes about this passage. About this man. This man who understood fear and who gradually came to understand faith as well. We're really going to be talking about what I think is his growing faith tonight. As in my, my sense in the passage is that he goes through some stages just in the time of this passage. Now, word of background. Gospel of John, here we are at the end of chapter 4. Most of chapter 4 is the story of Jesus and that woman in Samaria. Very vivid story. I think many of us read that story and then never notice this one, which is a postscript. Jesus, not too long before this, has gone public with his ministry. He has stood up in his own synagogue in Nazareth. He's announced that he's there as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It turns out to be a tough day. And not long after that, he left town. He left the north of Israel, moved down to the south, to Jerusalem, began to teach, began to do public things, and was noticed very, very quickly. In fact, people began to respond to him both positively and negatively in a very short period of time, to the point where there was a real chance that those who were against him would somehow stop him at what we know as the very beginning of his ministry. And so we realize as we read the Gospels that he didn't stay in Jerusalem very long. He started back up north toward home territory. In the Gospel of John, of course, many of those details are not given. But by the time you get to chapter 4, he's back home. Home means Nazareth, Cana, Capernaum, those areas up at the north of the Sea of Galilee. And when he gets there, back to Cana, and we know it's at least the third time, because he picked up one of his disciples, Nathaniel, at Cana, he performed that wedding at Cana in chapter 2 of this gospel. And now he's back for at least the third time, and this man shows up. Now, when we look on the map, Capernaum and Cana are not very far apart, unless you were walking. Uh, for a comparison, I would say it'd be like walking to Wheaton. Now, it's 12 miles from my house to the west end of Wheaton. And I do that every other Sunday. Takes a while. So this man is moving from his current residence, maybe 12, 15 miles over to the city of Cana to find Jesus. Well, let's look at the story. In the story, I think that this gentleman, this royal official, started out with what I would call an emergency kind of faith. I mean, he, he's, here he is, he's a public official. We're not told whether he's military or civil. Obviously, he has a good job. 
He's probably employed by Herod at this point. Uh, well, let's just pause and say, we're only in chapter 4, and Jesus has already made it clear that his ministry is going to cut across the various social divisions. I mean, he's, he's already spent time with fishermen, who would be rather ordinary characters. He spent time with Pharisees because he was with Nicodemus in chapter 3. He spent time with an immoral Samaritan woman who would be sort of the ultimate outcast. And now he's with what is at least an executive assistant. So he's cutting across a lot of the barriers. And now this latest man shows up in verse 47. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son. And John comments, he was close to death. Now we're not told whether he was 14 like I was, or he's four, or he's 24. We don't know how old the son is, but his father has reason to be really, really concerned. Whatever medical treatment there was, it didn't help. He's not responding. We were describing as in critical condition. He's not likely to survive. He's close to death. And I suppose the officials had all kinds of advice by those around him who cared. And as a last resort, he hears about Jesus. I suppose it's not the first time he's heard about Jesus. But this Jesus has a reputation of having special power. You know, there have been stories about what he did way down in Jerusalem, a long way off. Maybe it would be worth the talk, or the walk, I say, to go from Capernaum over to Cana and see if he could talk to Jesus about this. I think this is an emergency kind of faith. The kind of faith that we have either experienced or heard about when there's somebody who is really, really sick and it looks like they're going to die. And so often we hear they're, they're willing to try extreme measures, something that many say won't work at all. They'll still wait to try because they need something to help them in that situation. This man's like that. He has a faith, a faith of a last resort toward Jesus. Come, heal my son, he's close to death. I call it an emergency faith. I mean, I, mean, it's, I don't think this is a saving faith. I don't think this is a faith that's going to get him into heaven when he dies. And it's certainly not an Apostles' Creed kind of faith. He can't go through those various phrases and check them off as believing them. I don't think he fully recognizes that Jesus is God. There are a lot of gaps in the faith of this man at this point. But it's a beginning. It's a start. He's grasping at something which hopefully can meet this deep need that he has in his life. And before we're too critical of him, isn't this a starting point for a lot of people? 
We don't start with some kind of full-blown, strong, orthodox faith. We start with emergency faith. I have a need, and I think maybe Jesus could meet that need. We translate him into our setting. Here's a man from the upper middle class. A man has a need he's not able to meet. It's like he has a nice life here in suburbia. But that doesn't seal us off from problems. It's as if crises are sent to God at periods in our lives to remind us that we're dependent on Him. Those times when we think, life's really good and I, I can handle it all no matter what comes. And then something comes and I can't handle it. So we have here an emergency faith that is starting this man on a road to stronger faith. Second phase, I, well, I call it a personal faith moving from an emergency faith to a personal faith. And it starts with this, there's one verse in here that's really strange, and it starts with that, verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. Wait a minute, Jesus. Is this any way to start with some needy man who's come into your presence? It almost seems like you're pushing him away. What is it you're saying to this man, Jesus? It's really perplexing. And I don't have a full answer. I have a clue. We use the word you to mean singular or plural. Here is clearly a plural. You as a group of people. This rebuke is to a group of people that won't believe unless they see signs and wonders. So it's not just directed to this man who has arrived with a need. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm not just a miracle worker standing over here in the corner until I need it. You can't just see me that way as a miracle worker. It seems like it's an echo of the previous section, the Samaritan woman story. If you have read that recently, it's a long story in John. And at the end, as John finishes up telling the story, he says, many more believed because of his words. That is, before the story was over, the woman had told everybody in town about Jesus. They came out, they listened to Jesus, and it says, many of them believe because of his words. And then they say, stop. Look at that story. Where's the miracle? There's no miracle in that story. Jesus had a wonderful experience with that woman in Samaria, but no miracle. And now he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, You'll never believe it. It's as if Jesus is still thinking about the Samaritan experience while here he has in front of him a man asking for a miracle. If the Samaritans believed without miracles, if others have understood that miracles are only a means to an end, they're not the center, 
Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. And I love the response of the official. He's not about to have a debate with Jesus, right? He doesn't even, it's as if Jesus never said it. He responds, sir, come down before my child dies. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing here. And the next verse is the great verse in the passage, isn't it? Go, verse 50, your son will live. Now this is a miracle story, but it's a miracle story without any visible evidence of it. I mean, this man is a day's walk away from home where his sick son is, and Jesus now tells him his son's going to live. What's he going to do with that information? It feels like a test at verse 50. It's as if Jesus is saying to him, can you believe me rather than believing a miracle? And the answer, of course, is yes, right? The man took Jesus at his word. I love that sentence. The man took Jesus at his word. He placed his faith in a person. I think he's moved now from an emergency kind of faith onto a better faith, which is a personal faith, a faith directed to this Jesus, who clearly is someone very, very special. Okay, so that's 2,000 years ago. What about us tonight? What's our test? Well, if it's a miracle question, I doubt if God's going to speak to you in a burning bush the way he did to Moses. I doubt if he's going to hand you any manna from heaven. I doubt if he's going to do as he did with Moses and when he struck a rock, water came out of it. I doubt if he's even going to do as he did in Cana a short time before where he took water and turned it into wine. It's not likely, not impossible, but not likely that you're going to get a miracle when you pray to Jesus. But... It's clear in this passage what you do get and what you do have. You have the Word. You have Jesus speaking. The man took Jesus at his word. So that's the challenge for me. It's the challenge for you tonight. Will you believe even when there's no visible sign? When there's no miracle that you can get your arms around, will you still believe? I trust the answer is yes. Well, in this story, he trusted Jesus. He trusted what Jesus said. Will we do that? Has our faith grown to the point where we can step out on the basis of what the Bible, the Word, says?
And if we can answer that yes, then we too have progressed from an emergency faith on to a personal kind of faith. Well, let's take it one more step. From emergency to personal to what I'm calling a permanent faith in this passage. He starts home. Chances are that he walked to Cana one day. He met with Jesus. It's too far to go at least all the way home. So he doesn't get home until the next day. And on his way home, before he gets there, his servants show up. The story gets more positive at this point, doesn't it? Verse 51, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. Hey, he's greatly improved. He's no longer at death's door. That's wonderful. When did you see the difference? Well, we saw the difference about 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon. And the man thinks, that's when Jesus said to me, your son lives. At that very moment, over here, something happened over here which was miraculous. And the son's life was turned around. And now his faith, the faith of this nobleman, has been confirmed by experience. He has stepped out in faith, he's walked back home, and his faith has been verified as true. <laughs> well, I'm guessing as you look at your faith that you can see a similar pattern. That as it was focused in Jesus, and then over a period of time, it was no longer a an off-and-on kind of faith, it became a permanent faith, a faith that is strong and long-lasting. That's what's supposed to happen. We see the Bible is true, we begin to obey it, we confirm that it's true, our faith gets stronger, and then our faith spills over to other people because that's what happened when he found out that his son had lived at one o'clock the previous afternoon, it says he and his whole household believed. It was such a faith that they saw in him and saw in Jesus through him that they said, that's not just for you individually, that's for all of us. That had an impact on the greater community. The whole household believed. I want that kind of faith. I want you to have that kind of faith. A growing faith. It's, it's a fine thing for a person to have a trial and then find help and find Jesus and turn to God in the midst of the crisis. Nothing wrong with that. But it has to keep going. It has to progress beyond that. It can't, you can't just have God like a red button that says emergency press when there's an emergency. The need of this hour, as it is the need of every hour, is confidence in what God says to us. That's why I love singing about the ancient words a few minutes ago. 
as I listened and as I heard myself singing, I thought, yes, that captures the point. That gets at what I think this story is all about. That we're willing to take this book and do what it says and to know that the Bible is the path to a permanent faith. And so the passage concludes in verse 53, he and his whole household believe. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes we come to church and we learn new things. We get new information. Sometimes we come to church and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we're inspired. We realize maybe what you've already done in us or what you're doing in us now or what you want to do us in us in the future. And we pray that from this passage, you will do a work in us, that you will deepen our faith and it'll be strong enough for tomorrow and strong enough for Tuesday, and strong enough for Wednesday, all the days of this week. We identify with this fearful, broken man who went from being needy to being a strong one in Jesus Christ. Be pleased, O oh God, to make us strong ones in Jesus. Hear us as we pray in his perfect and holy and powerful name. Amen. Amen.